Hello and welcome to Michigan and Other Mayhem, the show about Michigan, murder, mysteries, histories, and other mayhem from around the world. Your hosts are Allie and Jen. Okay, Jen, let's do this thing. Hello, 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 hello. Allie. Jen. What's going on? Nothing. We might have someone joining us today. We'll see if that works out. Also, modern technology. Whoa, a lot of buttons. (laughs) (laughs) Right, because see, what everybody doesn't know is I normally start these. (laughs) (laughs) I am the button pusher. You are the button pusher. You're the one at work that fixed an IT solution that involved you wearing the same clothes two days in a row. When you were like, I'm wearing yesterday's clothes. I'm like, oh, shit, I do remember liking that sweater yesterday. (laughs) Right? Yeah, you know. This week I have been sick. Oh, have and you been? I was just coughing because I swallowed wrong. <laughs> no, so if you hear if you hear crackling and nothing from me, it's because I'm drinking out of my water bottle. It's okay. um, been an interesting week to say the least. Man, you probably just got worn down with all that shit at work. I mean, whoa, girl, whoa, you were always there. Every time I pulled up, you were there. And every time I left, you were there. And I work a long day. So that means you work a longer day. Right. What's been going on with you? Nothing. I really haven't been doing shit. I actually have today's article is nobody dies. Nobody dies. It's entertaining instead of filled with death. So wanted to give us a break because I did a couple, uh, a lot of murders. And in my next few episodes, it's going to be a lot of murder. Well, I have the murder of Doug Estes and Jim Bennett. Okay. And it's a cold, it was, it turns into a cold case, but it gets interesting at the end. Oh, really? Yeah. You want me to tell you about it? Yeah, and just so you know, next time we record, I have one that has um, a cool ending, too. So I have cool ending ones, okay? God. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Right, just decent. So mine's back in November 1990. Okay. The body of Doug and Jim were found dead in the Fulton State game area, and it's around the Battle Creek area. Okay. And they were hunting there. And they were shot. So during the investigation. Wait, the two guys are shot? Yep, the two guys are shot. The hunters are shot. Yep, the hunters. Doug and Jim are shot. Okay. They they were both shot in the back. Oh. And during the investigation, it was found that they were both shot with completely different bullets. Okay. From two different guns. Okay. One of the hunter's guns was found a couple days later by a person, Jeff Titus, who's wait, laying. So one, of, what, wait, so one of the dead hunter's gun is found? Yeah. Okay. And it's found by, no, you clear. If I'm not making sense, you let me know. No, and, I'm just trying to make sure I understand. It has been one yeah. of those days, but bring it to me. Yep. Two guys, they're out hunting. Somehow they both get shot in the back. Yeah. Two different bullets. Two different types of bullets. Okay. They find one of the dead guy's guns later. 
Yep. Then okay. one of the people, one of the neighbors to that gaming area, their okay. property runs into the gaming area. Okay. And it's that guy, Jeff Titus, that finds the gun. Okay. Makes sense. He lives nearby. All right. Yep. When the police check out the gun, it had been wiped down. Okay. So it was completely clean. Okay. So police interviewed people whose property ran up to the game area. Um, other people that were in the game area at the time. No suspects. Okay. Case goes cold. Okay. Yeah. Fast forward to 2000. The cold, the, a cold case team picks it up. Okay. And they start going through what the original investigators found. And they completely disagreed with the original investigators. And they believed that Jeff Titus, the guy who found the gun. Okay. Murdered the two people. Really? Okay. So, okay. Both set, so yeah. we have two sets of investigators. They completely disagree. With each other. Yeah. Okay. So he was, Jeff was actually cleared of the murder because he was, was about 27 miles away and he was hunting. Okay. So they believed in, you know, whatever within their investigation that Jeff couldn't have done it. And that's why they cleared him. The new, the cold case team believed that he could do it. Oh, okay. During the original investigation, there was two witnesses that were interviewed that had stopped and offered to help a driver that was stuck in the ditch near where Doug and Jim were murdered. Okay. They, they brought in a sketch artist at that time, and that person drew up a picture of who they helped. And it actually resembled Thomas Dillon, who was a serial killer from Ohio that was targeting hunters and fishermen. Oh, okay. I did not know that there was one out there doing that. I, I didn't know either. Makes me want to look that shit up. I didn't even know that was a, a thing. That's a thing. Okay. So the new investigation team felt strongly that, again, that the original team was incorrect. Okay. That Jeff was their man. They spoke to Jeff's co-workers who, you know, didn't seem to like Jeff. Jeff wasn't a, a well-liked man, I don't believe. Okay. And the co-worker said that Jeff would tell them how he hated having hunters on his land because, you know, it backs up. There's not, like, a fence. Yeah, These yeah. These people can walk right into, you know, the neighboring land. Yeah, they cut, like, right across his shit, not even realizing that it's somebody's property and you're not on the, you know, right. uh, general and, property. Yeah, and that, again, that he wasn't too far away, that he could have done it. And... For some reason, when I was looking this up, the two witnesses that the sketch artist drew who they helped on the side of the road, for some reason, couldn't be questioned again. I'm not sure if they were deceased or there's a law 
Okay. You know, where you're like they're deceased or we can't find them or, you know. Yeah. Or there's some law that, you know, after so many years. Yeah. Cause hasn't it been a while? Yeah. Well, yeah, it was in the nineties yeah. and now we're reinvestigating in the 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. So many things could happen. So, all right. They think Jeff's their man. They're going to, they're going to arrest him. They arrest him. Okay. They charge him with the murders. He goes to trial. This is where the interesting stuff starts to happen. Talk to me. So, interesting. During his trial, Jeff's lawyer didn't call the previous investigators whose testimony would be in the favor of Jeff. Okay. You know? Yeah. Because they they investigated and believed that he didn't do it and he couldn't do it. The lawyer didn't cross-examine the, the people that the prosecution um, put on the stand. Okay. Like, this lawyer asked very little questions. Like, as I'm reading through stuff, I'm like, this guy just thinks he's guilty. You think like, the lawyer is showing that his client is guilty? Right. Like, uh, why are you not calling these people that could help him? Why are you not asking questions? Okay. You know, why would you do nothing? Right. Because that's what it seems like he did. Okay. And the prosecution really didn't have anything. No proof that he was there. Yeah, he found the gun on the property. But where's the other gun? You know? Well, not to mention, yeah. finding a gun doesn't mean you killed somebody. It means you have a gun. Right. Right. Yeah. Prosecution had nothing. Two, now we're in 2002. Jeff was convicted and sentenced to life in prison. What? <laughs> yep. So we got nothing. Jeff sent and convicted. He sentenced to life. And Jeff stand was still stands by the fact that he's innocent. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So then then Jeff's Jeff's wife divorces him. Because okay. now, you know, he's spending life in prison. I guess you don't want to be married to somebody, maybe. Okay. okay. Live her life. What gets even more interesting, so we know now, like, the lawyer did nothing. Right. Didn't do anything to help him to prove his innocence whatsoever. Well, during, before the, the trial, the lawyer had actually hired a private investigator to prepare, to get, gather things and prepare for this trial. Okay. I find it funny that it's found that after he's, so Jeff's wife divorces him, and then the private investigator uh -huh. that the lawyer hired uh -huh. marries his wife in 2005. Marries Jeff's wife? Jeff's wife. What? <laughs> so I think it's funny that, okay, this lawyer... Hires his private investigator, so obviously they know each other. Uh-huh. This guy, private investigator, is obviously investigating his wife. Right. His lawyer and investigator are buddies. Now the lawyer's going to make sure he goes down being why no one that, you know, the investigators weren't called. There wasn't any real, you know, questioning of the people that the prosecutors put on the stand. Okay. See so here, this is what I thought you, here's where I thought you were going with it. 
that the the private investigator investigates and finds all this evidence that says it really was him. Like maybe he told the wife he had killed these men. It's one of the things he would threaten her with. Like, if you ever try to leave me, I'll kill you like I killed these guys and I got away with it or whatever. You know what I mean? That's yeah. where I thought you were going with that. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, once he went that they figured out through the private investigator that he really was guilty. So he didn't even try during the trial. Cause he's like, fuck it. This guy's guilty. No, uh, you, I guess he wanted to marry his wife. Uh, I love how brains work. <laughs> I, it, it seems so fishy. It does seem fishy. Like how See, I thought it was like fishy the other way. Like he investigated his own client was like, fuck it. This guy's guilty. And so he, even though it, it should be his duty to try, he did not try. To try right. or excuse yourself, you know, excuse yourself or try, you know, one of the two. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. the first set of detectives took, you know, feel strongly that Jeff is innocent. He didn't do it. So they took his case to the Innocence Project. Okay. And so now the Innocence Project is trying to help free Jeff. Okay. And they believe that it's completely possible that this Ohio serial killer traveled up to Michigan, right? murdered, and had plenty of time to get away. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. And it's not that Ohio's that far. Come on, we touch each other. Right. Currently, all appeals Jeff has done have been rejected so far. And I did find out this morning when I was Googling, try to find more stuff on the lawyer, mm-hmm. that the investigation discovery this month in November is going to do a episode on Jeff's case. Okay. Wow. It's called a series on that investigation discovery is like called Killer in Question, I think. Killer in question. Okay. And that's the one about Jeff. Yeah. All right, dude. That's kind of cool. I think that the lawyer and the investigator were buddies and the investigator wanted to get with the wife. I mean, how you're convicted in 2002, your wife divorces you. I know that takes a bit of time. And then in 2005, you're married to this dude's wife. Or what if... What if Jeff was an asshole? So the wife wants to divorce him. Meets the bodyguard. They have instant chemistry. It's great. The lawyer is paid off by the actual killer to not do a good job and let Jeff stay in jail. He's like, look, I'll give you, you an ass load of fucking money if you do a terrible job. So that way he gets convicted for my crime and nobody ever looks for me. Yeah. Or the wife oh, paid the or, lawyer. Or the wife paid the lawyer. Yeah. I know. Perfect. It's. It's like, um, this would be the second one lately, because I did another one, I can't remember which one it was, where it's like, you're just looking at all this stuff, and like, how could anyone sit there as a juror, and, and, and be like, put, yeah, be like, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> life in prison, I get, you got nothing, but I'm going to send you to, to prison. I just don't get it. Right. Like, I've you got, got nothing on this guy. Right. I've got I've got good news. Well, I've got okay. more positive stuff. I do. Okay. Some of it is Michigan related. Do you like right. Billy Joel at all as a singer? I love Billy Joel. Okay. Well, what I'm going to do this today, I'm going to talk to you about different songs 
that are written about people. And I don't know if you know that Billy Joel actually writes a lot of his own songs. Yeah. Okay. So he married, Billy Joel married Joel, not Joe. Billy Joel married Elizabeth Weber Small in 1993. Okay, so he had signed some really bad recording deals before he met her. And by really bad, I mean, like, he was broke as fuck. It didn't matter, like, how much, how well the songs did. Just, you know, he just did some really bad stuff. So she's the band's manager. And this type of job, and this is 1973, this type of job is usually reserved for men. And I don't know if you know. 1973? Yeah, I don't know if you know, but it wasn't until, like, 1970 that a woman could open up her own bank account. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, so and here she is, like, a manager for these men. So this is unusual. Well, she helped him negotiate contracts, and she was a tough negotiator. Like, his, Elizabeth was known for being tough as fuck. Well, Billy releases the song, She's Always a Woman. You know that song, She's Always a Woman to Me? Mm-hmm. Okay, so he releases it in 1977. And the song talks about other people seeing, like, her toughness and her aggressiveness when she negotiates as masculine, but to him, he sees her behavior. He sees that behavior just like enhancing her femininity and that what other people thinks is flaws, he embraces, you know, he's basically saying in the song, like, no matter what, you're always a woman to me, even though she's like tough as fuck. Well, Billy Joel said that Elizabeth was also the inspiration for his song. She's got away, which is not as popular, but still a good song. And for the waitress character in the song Piano Man, I love that song. Mm -hmm, I love that song. Yeah. So the single line about the waitress and Piano Man is, and the waitress is practicing politics as the businessman slowly gets stoned. And I guess that is actually something she would do. And I just want to say, as a side note, when they first met, like Billy Joel and Elizabeth, Elizabeth was married to Billy Joel's drummer, John Small. So she was married to his drummer, to his really? roommate. Yeah. And wow. I guess that Billy felt so bad about the affair that he was having with Elizabeth that he tried to kill himself by drinking furniture polish. I just oh. thought, how weak is that? What the fuck? Like, I'm wow. always horrified that your stomach is going to get tore up and then you're going to have to eat with the two for the rest of your life. Right. So Billy was saved when John finds him and drives him to the hospital. So he's having sex with John's wife, tries to kill himself about it. John finds him and saves his life. Uh, so uh, this... yeah, I would feel like a real big dick. Oh, yeah, wouldn't you? Oh, God. This, yeah, the song, She's Always a Woman, is beautiful, but the couple did divorce nine years after marrying in 1982. Now, Billy Joel wrote the song Uptown Girl, which peaked at number three on the Billboard Hot 100 song, Up town girl mm-hmm. no. okay so that was in 1983 and billy's only number one song it's, it's his only number one song in the united kingdom during his career and it is the second biggest song in the united kingdom in in the uk in 1983 hmm. the first the, the first song was so Uptown Girl is about a working class man trying to woo a woman that he considers upper class, right? So during this interview with um, shock jock Howard Stern, Billy Joel reveals 
that he was inspired first by his girlfriend, Elle McPherson. Do you remember her? She was a supermodel back in the day. Yeah. And then he, he concluded writing the song about his next girlfriend, which was supermodel Christy Brinkley. So I was thinking, I was like, wait a minute, you had, you were married to your wife until 82, and by 83, you had two different supermodel girlfriends? I don't feel like right. you were really suffering after the marriage. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I just wrote the bottom, like, a couple things I want to point out. Um, one, Billy wasn't a working class man when he wrote the song, because Uptown Girl is his ninth studio album. And two, he was dating Elle McPherson when she was like 18 or 19. At the time, he was like 33, 34, and married. And then number three was, I think he wanted to brag about, basically, on the Howard Stern show, he wanted to brag about banging two women who were considered some of the most beautiful women of the 1980s. Right. Yeah. 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 So another song is, I like the song Veronica by Elvis Costello. Have you ever heard that one? I don't think so. It's also a 90s song. And he wrote it about the song Veronica. It's about his grandmother. And she suffered from Alzheimer's disease before she died. And the song's about this older woman who lives a quiet life in a nursing home when, you know, as she slowly loses her memories. And he actually wrote that song with Paul McCartney from the Beatles. And, oh, I'm sorry. It was from 1989. I said the 90s. I'm sorry. It came out in 89. And it is like such a bit. It's like the lit- lyrics are bittersweet. But the song is like an upbeat bop. It is so hard for my brain to like put the two together. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm cheerful and I'm sad. It's hard. <laughs> And then there's the song, Dude Looks Like a Lady. Oh, now, yeah. Have you ever heard about this one? Okay, yeah. So Steven Tyler, he's the lead singer of Aerosmith. He said he was in the bar with this co- his co-writer of the song, Desmond Child, when the, the inspiration for Dude Looks Like a Lady hit. So they're, they're at the bar. And they look and they see the back of this beautiful blonde with long hair. And they can see, like, black fingernail polish and like, thin white arms from, like, where they are. And they're talking to each other like, yeah, I'm going to go see if I can introduce myself to her. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. When all of a sudden that person turns around and they see (laughs) that it's not a woman. It is Vince Neal. He's the lead singer of the band Motley Crue. Mm -hmm. And he (laughs) just had really beautiful blonde hair. (laughs) And the two guys were like, oh, shit. You know, um, that dude looked like a lady. Like, (laughs) There's like different versions of how the story about how the riff came to play and Aerosmith has songs that sounded similar to Dude Looks Like a Lady. And there's one version that already had them writing a song that said cruising for a lady and they just like updated the words. But Desmond Child. okay, so Desmond Child, the guy that co-wrote it, Steven Tyler and Aerosmith guitarist Joe Perry, they've all written books that mention the creation of Dude Looks Like a Lady. And everybody gives a slightly different account <laughs> of how the song was recorded <laughs> and who should get the credit for it. And one of the things that Desmond Child does is he brings up the fact that Steven Tyler and Joe Perry were known to be like hard party, hard partying, like rockers. And they did a lot of drugs, so they probably don't have the best memory. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, wow. He's just like, they probably don't remember. So do you know the song In Your Eyes by Peter, Peter Gabriel? It's yep. one of my favorite love songs. I fucking love that song. So it's actually sung by Peter Gabriel. It came out in 1986. And the inspiration for that song is Rosanna Arquette. 
And she's an actress that Peter Gabriel used to be in a relationship. I don't know. If you ever saw, so in the 1980s, Rosanna Arquette was in this movie called Suddenly Susan. And that's the first movie that Madonna ever acted in. And Madonna just ran the 80s. And she's from Michigan. I don't know if you knew that. Mm-hmm. So Rosanna Arquette was in that movie. She's in a few other movies that probably you don't know because you're too young. Anyway, so it, <laughs> <laughs> the, the song In Your Eyes hits the charts for a second time in 1989 when it was played by one of the movies I love the most in this world, which is the movie Say Anything. Do you know that one? No. It has John Cusack in it. Okay, so In Your Eyes is played in this scene, a scene that the movie is actually famous for. You can hear it when John Cusack, who plays this rom- the romantic lead, his name is Lloyd Dobler in the movie, he's trying to woo back his love, Diane Court, and the song In Your Eyes is playing, uh, was playing like the first time they made love. So Lloyd's standing outside her house holding a boombox over his head, and it's playing, you know, In Your Eyes to her. <laughs> yeah, so it's such a good movie, I'm telling you. So Rosanna actually was the one to convince Peter Gabriel to let the movie use his song. And he got paid about $200,000 for the rights to that song. I didn't even think about, you know, musicians or songwriters making money from movies like that. That's crazy. All right. So I want to talk to you about the song. We're an American band. Now, do you know? Okay. That's like, we're an American band. We're coming to your town. We'll help you party down. We're an American band. Do you know that song? Yeah, I know that song. Okay. okay, so that is sung by Grand Funk Railroad. And they are, or the, the original members are from Flint, Michigan. They formed in 1969. And I just want you to remember that 1969 was a great year because that's the year that Sesame Street came on the air as well as Scooby-Doo. Oh, wow. Just saying. Just yeah. saying. So they actually took their name from the Grand Trunk western railroad which has a rail line that goes through flint so instead of the grand trunk rail western railroad they're grand funk railroad (laughs) so they wrote the song we're an american band about themselves and the drummer don brewer wrote the lyrics which included out on the road for 40 days last night in little rock put me in a haze sweet sweet connie was doing a rag (laughs) and it's like she had the whole show and that's a natural fact so He's actually talking about a woman named Connie Hamsey. And she was a well-known groupie that also went by the name Sweet Sweet or Sweet Connie. And what Connie claims is that, and nobody, nobody says she's lying, <laughs> is she claims that she's had sex with many, many, many rock stars from the 1960s forward. Oh. Anytime they came through Little Rock, Arkansas, where she lives, that's where he said last night in Little Rock. He talked about sweet, sweet Connie doing her act. Yeah. Huh. Like, basically, if you in any way had something to do with music and you were in Little Rock, Arkansas, Connie was your girl. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the last one I have here is the song Magic Man. And I'm going to tell you something I've done. I've been wrong for years. So I had been told and I believed for decades because, you know, the Internet didn't always exist. <laughs> and so you, know, you couldn't always check shit you were told. So I thought the song Magic Man by the band Heart, which came out in 1975, was about Charles Manson because he was actually part of the music scene in California back in the day. And the two Wilson sisters from the band had met him and they're the ones that wrote the song. 
but I'm looking up this article like, do, do, do. I'm going to look it up finally, this thing that I was told decades ago. And I found out that, nope, I've been wrong this whole time. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I told other people. So now I'm spreading this information. <laughs> I made fake news. Okay. <laughs> Ann Wilson said it was partly about her relationship with her manager, who she was like having a relationship with huh. that part of the song. I'm like, can we pretend like the other part of the song was about Charles Manson? So I'm not wrong. Can right. Done that? You're, real, you're real off there. So that I'm not fake news. So I would really appreciate that. <laughs> but I got, oh, I should tell you, all my sources were complex.com, wikipedia.com, songfacts.com, and icepop.com. That was yeah, those are all the. Yeah, it was. I liked looking up songs about people. I always find that stuff kind of fun. I love Billy All Joel. right. I love Billy Joel too. And I'm like, dang, he was banging everybody right. back in the day. <laughs> All right, Jen, I'll talk to you later. All right, bye. All right, bye. Contact us at anchor or Michigan and other mayhem at gmail.com or on Facebook to join the conversation, listen to the podcast, or correct us when necessary. Rate and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast provider. Bye bye now.